<clears throat> As we begin, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. I'm sorry, I should have looked up exactly what page that is in the Pew Bible, the way Eric does, but I failed to do that. Uh, so I'll give you a moment to get there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Have you ever been treated unfairly? You don't need to raise your hand. <clears throat> Have you ever been treated unfairly by a person in authority over you or even a member of your own family? Boss? We tend to remember these things. Have you ever treated another person unfairly? No show of hands, please. We all have. But we don't recall those incidents nearly so vividly. I chose this passage this morning because my mother used to refer me to this passage pretty often. Whenever I was protesting whatever the current injustice was I was suffering, this is where she would point me. Apparently my protests were pretty frequent. But looking back, I'm not sure all those injustices were as real as I thought they were. You know, my older brother is, is about a year and a half older than me, and he always seemed to get the better jobs, you know, driving the tractor or the truck or whatever. And I just got manual labor most of the time. Mom was careful not to reinforce my self-pity. 
she would sometimes <clears throat> read this passage to me. Other times she would just say, remember to entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. In our passage today, Peter deals with real personal injustices and instructs us both how and why we should endure them by giving us a command, a calling, and an example. First, he gives us a command. He says, be subject to your earthly masters. He starts out with the word servants. <clears throat> this word in the Greek means slave, but it's a different word than was used for slaves that did menial labor. This word was talking about a household servant, usually somebody who was well-educated and had responsibility. So that's specifically who he's addressing, servants. <clears throat> However, we'll see that the principles of what Peter says to these people is equally applicable to everyone. We all serve earth earthly masters. Children are subject to the authority of their parents. <clears throat> Students are subject to the authority of the teacher. Employees are subject to the authority of a supervisor or a boss. Everyone in the military is subject to the chain of command. Wives and husbands serve one another. We're all subject to the governmental authorities. So we all have, of us have many earthly masters. <clears throat> Not all of those masters have the same level of authority over us as the slave owner did with these servants that Peter addresses, but we find that our earthly masters can treat us in ways that are unjust and unfair just the same. <clears throat> so what does he tell these servants? He says, be subject to your masters with all respect. Why did he say all? And what does that mean? This all means that token respect is not enough. What's being asked for here is genuine 100% respect. Maximum, above-the-call respect. And this maximum respect is to be shown without regard to the behavior of the master. <clears throat> In fact, we will learn that it's even more important to show this respect to a master who is unjust. How does a person show respect to authority? The foremost way we show respect is how we speak in response 
to our earthly master. It's why we teach our children to say yes sir and yes ma'am when responding to adults. Do our children do this naturally? No. Why not? Do you remember to respond respectfully to your earthly masters when they are clearly wrong? How do you respond when they have spoken to you harshly or reprimanded you for something that is the fault of someone else? What does all respect look like if your boss, teacher, husband, is really at fault, but they are blaming you. <clears throat> in response to being spoken to in an unjust way, matters. Peter says that Jesus called us for this. <clears throat> Enduring unjust treatment is part of our calling. Did you know you signed up for that? We are all guilty of failing to do as our earthly masters would have us do. Patiently enduring correction or punishment that we deserve is not a terribly honorable thing. Our culture might admire tough guys who break the rules and take the consequences, but God doesn't. Oh, Peter says so here. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? <clears throat> Peter tells us that if we endure correction or punishment that we do not deserve, we have done a gracious thing. He says that if we have done the enduring because we know that God wants us to do it, that that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. <clears throat> Being treated unfairly is sorrowful. It causes anger and resentment in us. Often, we find ourselves consoling ourselves that we will get even when we get a chance. This is sin. We need to train ourselves to recognize these feelings. <clears throat> Consider Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailer. Do you remember what happened there? Paul and Silas had cast a demon out of a young girl who was no longer able to tell fortunes. Her owners accused them of stirring up a riot, and they were thrown in jail. Do you think that the jailer and his family would have believed in Jesus if Paul had grumbled and protested his unfair treatment? and then fled when the earthquake freed him? No. What was Paul doing when the earthquake happened? The scripture says that 
in Acts chapter 16 that Paul and Silas were singing hymns and praying. And that after the earthquake, the jailer was about to kill himself because he assumed all the prisoners had fled. And Paul said, no, stop, we're all here. What prevents us from speaking and acting in a Christ-like way when we're being mistreated? Is it our pride? Is it our lack of faith? Is it a lack of an example? Peter provides us one. Jesus' actions at the cross are the pattern that we are to follow. The word that's translated example in verse 21 is a Greek word that means, uh, it refers to the handwritten character that a teacher would write and ask the student to copy or trace. So he's not just saying, you know, follow this example. He's saying, do this exactly. You remember the writing tablets when you were a youngster learning to print and the character that was up there at the beginning and you were supposed to copy it exactly the same way. That's what he's talking about. That's the word he's using. He's saying that we should do exactly as Christ did. Just as the person learning to write is not free to form letters any way they choose, we're not free to stray from the pattern of Christ. If the student forms letters any way they want to write, nobody will be able to understand what they have written. If we stray from the pattern of Christ, others will not see Christ in our behavior. So what does the pattern look like? What does the pattern of Christ look like? Well, first, he did not revile in response to being reviled. We don't use that word a lot. What does it mean to revile? Well, it means to be intentionally insulted. We must be respectful or silent when spoken to in an undeserved critical way. We must resist the temptation to stand up for ourselves. What we say matters. When our emotions are high, we are not likely to say the things that Christ would have us say. Our culture teaches us to resist and fight against injustice. In fact, Jesus did when he turned over the money changers' tables. 
But that was not in response to a personal attack on himself. He did not threaten revenge. Jesus could have taken revenge. Think about it. He's just. And it matters to you the most at that moment when you are being mistreated. God is just. God is in control. God chose you. And God has a purpose for the situation you are in. Remembering this is of great comfort when we're faced with personal injustice. Entrust yourself to him who judges justly. Peter reminds us that Jesus' actions leading up to the cross were for us. He bore our sins in his body so that we could be healed. When we suffer injustice in a Christ-like way, entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly, we are not only doing it for ourselves. We are being useful in the kingdom of God. When we do not respond to unjust treatment in a Christ-like manner, we lash out verbally and vow revenge. Peter says we're acting like sheep who stray. I know a little bit about sheep. Many of you know the stories about how uh, we had sheep when I was young. A lot of sheep. Sheep only run away from the other sheep when they don't trust what the shepherd's doing. A sheep away from the herd acts dangerously. I have seen a sheep run into a fence and die out of fear because they were away from the rest of the group. That's what he's talking about. When you respond incorrectly to mistreatment, you're acting like a sheep who's run off from the herd. You're behaving dangerously to yourself and others. <clears throat> Remember, God has a purpose for our situation. We need to trust him even when we can't see the purpose. Now, I do want to, to speak a moment about what this passage does not say. Nothing in this passage indicates that a Christian should follow this pattern of Christ to the point of being killed. I'm particularly speaking of a marriage wherein one person is being physically abused and threatened. Nothing in this passage says that you should stay there and take it. So I don't want to be misunderstood on that point. How would such a death be for the benefit of God's kingdom? 
Some of the Christians to whom Peter is writing may have later faced death for being Christians. But they did not have any means of removing themselves from the situation. <clears throat> Does following Christ's pattern mean that we cannot seek justice through human means or that we must just grit our teeth and bear every wrong done to us? Is that what he's saying? Certainly not. We are free to appeal to human authority respectfully. <clears throat> and I'll give you an example. Paul used his Roman citizenship to save himself and Barnabas from being flogged in Acts 22. He appealed because he was a Roman citizen that they might not receive the punishment that they were about to receive. <clears throat> he also appealed to Caesar, uh, which caused him to not be released, but to end up in Rome. It kept him confined, really for the rest of his life. It's interesting, though, in the middle of that discussion in Acts, um, Acts 23, verse 3, in fact, we have a record of Paul not speaking respectfully. He called the high priest a whitewashed wall but he later apologized. Nowhere does Peter say that this is going to be easy. We also understand that Paul later came to believe that his imprisonment was for the furtherance of the gospel. He says in Philippians 1, 12 and 13, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Our relief in an unjust situation comes when we realize that our situation has been for Christ. <clears throat> if you'll bear with me, I want to read the passage again before I close. 1 Peter 2, 18-25 <clears throat> Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, 
neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for providing this scripture for our encouragement today. I pray that you would cause each of us to recognize in ourselves the anger and resentment that we feel and to determine to respond with all respect when we're treated unjustly. That we might be useful in your kingdom and that you might receive honor and glory in how we respond. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.